Amen. And so we finished New Year's conference up to Isaiah chapter 5. And in chapter 5, we saw the uh, wrath of God and his judgment. And so whether it's Hosea or Isaiah, whenever there is judgment, that judgment is unleashed in love. Because ultimately, judgment itself is an expression of God's love. Remember that the opposite of love is not judgment or wrath, but what the opposite of love is, is um, 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 ignorance, or, or, or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, um, not caring, like uh, ignoring. And so I know that this is a strong word, but sometimes like in love, there is hate. Like I, I know the word hate itself is not good, but but there is this this strong feeling, right? This this hate. And I love him. For example, I love Deacon. But and, and, but but as a man, you know, when when I see him not praying, right, there is that there is that moment of hate. And it's just another expression of love. It's not like, oh, I hate him because of who he is. I love him and as I and because I love him when I see some things that that don't match up you know I feel that anger that rage and so in that sense there is hate in love sometimes there is this uh, strong emotion in love and so so the opposite of love is not hate the opposite of love is ignorance this this willful ignorance uh, to ignore that person to not care and so God uh, brings discipline to his children and the one who detests God's dis, uh, God's discipline is is the fool and so let us not be that fool and so that's how chapter 5 ended and now in chapter 6 then we could expect this to be a word of restoration amen chapter 6 should be a word of restoration Many people call this chapter as Isaiah's calling, but it's not Isaiah's calling. We'll see this, but anyways. In 1 Kings, Isaiah was the scribe who wrote all, uh, 2 Kings, Isaiah is the scribe who wrote down everything that King Uzziah did. And so he was ministering as prophet, as scribe. And so in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the... And so in that state, uh, as he was doing his ministry of scribe, uh, King Isaiah, Uzziah passed away. And in as he was passing away, Isaiah is being purified once again. He thought he was ministering in holiness, but God is once again showing Isaiah where true holiness is. And so it's not it's not the chapter of his calling. Rather, he has already has his calling because he was already ministering, but this is a recommitment or a reconfirmation. And so you could say that chapter 6 is the conclusion of chapter 5. And so let's look at chapter 6 today. 
And so this is the chapter that God wanted to give you in this New Year New Year Sunday. And as today's title says, purify my lips with coal from the altar. And so in 2024, the blessing that God wants to give us is what? Is holiness. And the most important thing that we can receive is holiness. The greatest blessing of ours is holiness. And so it's time for us to understand what this means, yes? Even if God, even if someone was to give you lots of money without holiness, we need to be able to reject that. Because ultimately, the greatest blessing is what is holiness. There's nothing greater. In other words, that the attribute you can ascribe to God is holiness, and yet He gives you that holiness. And so you yourself become his temple. You yourself, everything that you have inside of you is holiness because you are that temple. And everything that God gives you is holiness. What the word he gives you is holy. The spirit he gives you is holy. And so if you believe this, then that's how you will live your life, knowing that holiness is everything. So whether you have numbers, it doesn't matter. Remember, we started this church with seven people. And so as long as you are holy, nothing is impossible. And so for the past 20 years, I've never worried about numbers. I've never worried about how many people were at our church. Even when we were only 180 people, we, were, we started 24-hour intercession every day. And so it's not about numbers, my brothers. There is no system in this church that was made because we were prepared, because we were ready. No. As that leader stands in that anointing, that ministry opens up. Whether it's intercession, God raises up interceders. Same thing with MB, same thing with NSIP. We do not prepare that system beforehand before we begin. No, God proclaims and we in faith receive and God builds up the system. So this is the system of Ephesians 4.11. If the church is full with the spirit of apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers, that system moves to build up the church. And so in holiness, that system is poured out. And so for the past 25 years, we are you are witnesses and you are living. Living that life. Even now, we don't try to do anything of our own. When God moves, He establishes the people that are necessary and opens up that ministry. Same thing with Zoe Ministry. Zoe Ministry, it's, it's not as if I was like, oh, I want to make this ministry of life. No, never once have I made that plan. plan. God said, go. And so I went. And as time went on, you know, the people filled up, people filled up, Central America filled up. And so, Pastor Fong, as he's meeting with Honduras, uh, they they sent us a video of of them of them uh, worshiping. And after that service, uh, Pastor Samuel took them took them by car to the border of Mexico. So anyways, let's enter into today's sermon. Though you have heard this sermon before, uh, there are a couple things that will be new. And so anyways, let's look at today's word. Verse 1 to verse 4. Isaiah is coming before God, the king who is seated on the throne. 
And so Isaiah was called as a prophet, and he's been ministering as a prophet for 10 years. And I'm sure he met with God during that time. And yet, I believe that this is the first time he sees this vision of the king sitting on the throne. And throughout his life, he will see this uh, twice in his life. Once again in chapter 25. The vision in chapter 25 is not the same thing that he's seeing in verse six, in chapter 6. And so I'm sure Isaiah met with God when he was, when he was called as a prophet, but it wasn't the glory on the throne. But in chapter 6, he, as he's ministering for 10 years, God leads him before his glorious throne. So verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, around B.C. 740, for 52 years King Uzziah reigned. And while he was reigning over Israel, that reign is coming to an end. And as we saw in up to chapter 5, Isaiah continually prophesied of judgment and of tribulation. And so from Isaiah's perspective, of course, everything that he recorded in the life of King Uzziah, but also seeing what happened to King Uzziah as he went into the temple filled with um, arrogance and lifted up the offering to God on his own. And, and so for the past 12 years, he was afflicted with leprosy. But before that time, during the first 40 years of King Uzziah's reign, Uzziah was a very good king. And when you look at 2 Kings, 2 Kings gives that judgment of Uzziah as a good king, though he did have that one weakness of arrogance very sh uh, towards the end of his reign. And yet he was a great king, as recorded by the author of the Kings. And also we see uh, in the records of history that uh, King Uzziah reigned during the most prosperous time uh, after King David and Solomon. You know, all trade was flourishing. Lots of commerce was flourishing. And many Israel believed that this was the good king that was going to lead them through hardship and into prosperity. And so during this time of King Uzziah, it was when uh, Judah was at its richest, was at its most powerful. And so when he died, this was a moment of great sadness to Isaiah. Because as he's prophesying tribulation and trials, this king who led Judah to victory, who led them through prosperity, this was the king that, that, that Isaiah was putting his hopes on, and yet he passed away. And so Isaiah was filled with grief. Amen. And in this grief, he enters into the temple and as he prays, he meets with God. 
And so he sees the king seated on the throne. And I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And he sees God as king. Why did God reveal himself in this way? Because he's showing Isaiah that Isaiah put his hopes in the wrong place. The true king is not the earthly king of Uzziah, but God. Though Uzziah was an excellent king, the hope of Israel is not in that king, but in God. Amen? And so he, Isaiah comes upon Lord, the Lord sitting upon a throne. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And so it's not a man who's king, but God. And seeing the limitations of man, because no matter how excellent Uzziah was a king, he was limited as a man. But now this king sitting on the throne, the train of his robe filled the temple, seated high and lifted up, right? He, he is above all things. This is the one who needs to reign for Israel to be Israel. It's not, it doesn't matter how excellent Uzziah is, he cannot define Israel. Same thing applies to us, brothers. What we we must always remember is that he is king. And so whenever something else is king in my life, in other words, your life is ruined. Your life is screwed. And so we must always confirm that God's reign is over my life. To him whose God's reign is over, now there will be many evidence of that but that evidence must be manifest and if you are clear of that evidence you will not be afraid and so when you start to see things based on your reliance on your on your experience on your knowledge then you you will see that something is a problem and so I keep talking about cell phones the danger of cell phones is that from this perspective at least is that instead of God being king over you it's your cell phones lifting you up as king you become self-centered and this energy to move in the self-centered way the cell phone really strengthens that so if you believe in God ask God seek God and instead of receiving answers from God you find answers in all the knowledge in your cell phone right if you don't know something you look it up and so you become a slave to knowledge so look at the world they are all slaves to knowledge and so this knowledge is not is not setting you apart and this knowledge cannot give you victory it's not going to give you any benefit and remember that this knowledge is also limited all the knowledge that you can get from your cell phone is limited it might be wrong it might be misinformation it may be polluted it may be corrupted and so, in my book, in my uh, study, there are a lot of books regarding the brain, regarding psychology. 
because because I am someone who deals with the spirit of man, right? And so, so I like I like to look at these kinds of books. I also like to read history books, right? Like history, because they're really important to opening up the spiritual realm. And so, do not think that I'm ignorant. I am not an ignorant man. I do read a lot of books. And so the essence of Elvin Topler's book, he said that who has information is victory. But that applied to his times. It's not about who has more information now, but who has correct information. And who can give the correct information? God alone. Alvin Toffler. And remember, information. Information. It's only useful in, in certain times. And so, God alone has the wisdom to use that information at its right time. So if you do not live by God, you'll be a moment late or you will apply it to wrong circumstances. And so you are filled with information that is not needed and yet you find comfort in that knowledge itself. But rather, what's important is, is knowing what information at what time and who can do that only through the revelation of God. And so two mankind that lose sight of revelation, they cannot help but fall to the trap of the devil during this day and age. It's not about who has more information, but who has right information. And it is through God who gives the victory through that right information. And so having lots of information itself is not victory. Rather, it's a burden. It causes confusion. It makes you be too overcomplicate things. And you cannot live according to the principle of God's gift to man. And so the cell phone is a really uh, important, critical tool to to make you deify yourself to build about your own country right what is your own kingdom is is that the the definition of your own kingdom is that you are the judge and in order to be judge you you get all this information and it allows you to be judged but ultimately it's all limited by you you're limited by your by 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 uh, your 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 nature and so God alone is limitless and when God is king over me then I can be victorious so in other words if you live in your own kingdom you will live in foolishness for 1,500 years when everyone thought of the geocentric model people could not leave the shores of the, of the land but it's when people understood the heliocentric nature of the solar system where man could uh, traverse the oceans and so it's when we move from self-centeredness to God-centeredness where we transcend the limitations of our borders. Amen? And this is the wisdom of God. And so anyways, Usaiah. I know. Uh, Isaiah acknowledged Usaiah and considered Usaiah as the hope of Israel. 
And this came from the deception of being self-centered. And so Israel, Isaiah was prophet, but he was a prophet who, who was foolish, who had a lot of his own wickedness. And so we'll see his great repentance in, in this chapter, yes? And so saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. And as he sees this, there's this great transformation, right? He sees who is the king, the king that reigns over the universe. And so if he is king and he is seated on your throne, then your scale must grow and it will grow through his reign over your life the scale of your faith grows this is the ultimate reason why the scale of your faith doesn't grow because self-centered your kingdom you you are the king and so your scale is not growing and so if you live in this self-centered way you do not know what it means to live in the spirit, to be honest with you. And that is my great regret. Many people, many people struggle to believe. And they say that I did everything that the church did. But to be honest, no, you didn't. You did what you wanted to do. Right? Same thing with many people when they try to get married. If the church decides, then I will go. And yet, if they don't want to, they, they don't go, right? Even though the church just determined that, hey, you should get married to this person. If you don't like it, you don't go. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to use the church for your own benefit. There are many people like this at our church. I will not say the names, but though I told them to get married to this person, they didn't go. It's at this time where looks become so important to that person. You know, you need you need that person to match your style. And so this is your kingdom, your self-centeredness. And so you're just trying to use the church, right? Repent. Those of you, repent. If, the, if you were to go according to the church, there would not be so many singles at our church. And so even things like this, you're unable to follow God as king over your life. So look at your life. Did I truly be obedient to God in my life? And so through this, you can see where you truly need to repent. And it's a very critical danger if you cannot see. And so I know exactly for the past 35 years what I have received and what I haven't received from God. I know where I have failed to follow God. This must be clear in you. And so I know my weaknesses very well. For example, when I got married to my wife, honestly, this was something that, that should have brought me a lot of shame because in just a week after proclaiming that I will be celibate, I, I fell in love. And so when you're unable to know what, where your life followed God or not, this is dangerous. You need to be able to see that. And that's why you're unable to cast out these demons. You're not aware whether it was your choice or God's choice, whether you were truly obedient to God or not. So you don't know what needs to be separated. But yet, brothers, it's not too late. 
let us know. Now, there are many things that may have been the reason. For example, some it may have been immorality, some it may have been greed, some it may be secularism, some it may be humanism. There are many reasons why you ultimately chose to be king in that moment. But whatever the reason may be, at the very least understand what affected you so that you do not make the same mistake again. But I'm sorry to say this. Many of you continue to do the same mistake over again. It's because you do not know what your pitfall was. And this is foolishness, my brothers. And you are suffering great loss because of this. We can make mistakes and we can sin. But if you repent, if you, I mean, if you repeat in your sins, that sin becomes part of your character. Right? Only a foolish dog returns to its vomit, as it says in Proverbs. So don't let it become part of your character. Because then you lose the ability to receive what God's doing. There are many people like this in our church. And it may not be all, every aspect of your life, but in certain key aspects, you're continually falling. And so, like Isaiah right now, we need to draw near to the throne of God and meet with God. It's when you meet with God, you'll be able to see yourself. Because you are not meeting with God, you are not seeing yourself. And even if you do meet with God, you are not in that powerful presence and you are, you are closed and not being opened up. And so you keep maintaining that darkness, at least in that aspect of your life. And that means it becomes a channel for the devil to use. And so this season, the reason why it's important, as I'm preaching out of Isaiah 6, what I want you to see is that in this season, like Isaiah, we need to be laid bare like Isaiah. Look at Isaiah as he he's probably lived righteously. And yet when he sees when he sees uh, the king on his throne, he realizes that his righteousness is nothing. And so he sees the Lord sitting on the throne. And the throne has two 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 meanings, right? The reign of the king, right? That the king judges. As we see in chapter 1, that God contends with Israel in a legal way. And so, so again, the king is the judge. And that's the Old Testament. God is judge. But now in New Testament, it's the same thing, but yet it's led to uh, in grace. And the second thing is, is when a king is on the throne, he is leading battle. Right? Uh, that he is leading battle from his throne. If you look at Isaiah chapter 6, he is seated on the throne and we are seated with him. So while we're on this earth, the moment we are saved, though we are on this earth, we are already seated on his throne there. Spiritually speaking, our root is rooted in the kingdom of heaven. And as children of the king, we are seated with him for what? For two reasons. To participate in God's judgment. And second, as I said, is because we are in battle. And we see that in Ephesians. The result of Ephesians is what? A church that engages in spiritual battle. And so with the fact that we are seated on the throne, there are two things that we are doing. We are participating in God's judgment and we are in the midst of battle. And for this reason, we see Isaiah sees the Lord seated on the throne. 
And the train of his robe filled the temple. And so where he's seated is not just the temple, but the Holy of Holies is where he's seated. Where's the Holy of Holies? What is the Holy of Holies? The Holy of Holies is where uh, all things of the universe is determined. And as you know, well, what's in the Holy of Holies is the records of all sins of man. Sinner cannot go in there, right? Because these records are there. So angels cannot go in there. They are outside the Holy of Holies. They serve outside in the courts. The only being in the Holy of Holies is the triune God. And yet, according to Hebrews, through Jesus Christ's invitation, who erased all of our sins, we enter to the Holy of Holies. Amen? And so spiritually speaking, many people go to the courts where the seraphim are. But our calling is not just to the courts. Our calling is to draw near to the throne of grace. Where is the throne of grace? It's inside the Holy of Holies. That's where we are invited. That's where we meet with God. And when you have that meeting with that God in that place, like Isaiah, you will be laid bare. And so if you only look from afar, then you will never be able to see the darkness that is closed and hidden in your heart. If you have too many of your own burdens, it's too heavy to go in. You need to lay it down to draw near to the throne of grace that will reveal all inside of you. And so yearn for it, my brothers. In 2024, that all of us would draw near to the throne of grace to enter in and see that glory and see all of our wickedness and to be able to deal with all our wickedness. And so I know what it means to draw near to the throne of grace because ever since I was saved, I knew what it meant to hear his voice. I knew what it meant to go before his throne and to receive the light of the grace that shines forth from his face. And because I knew that, I never let go of that during these past 35 years. I never let go of what it means to draw near to his throne of grace. And that's why I always preach, empty yourself, empty yourself, to lay out all your filth. And many things I repented of at that time, but there was also many things that I did not realize at that time. And God continually led me. <laughs> for example like immorality it was not dealt with at that moment I mean what can I do I, I look so good I, I, I don't know how to I don't know how to control it but I, I, I repented eventually as God continued to reveal this and so this was my blessing that, that from the very moment I could hear God's voice and from the very moment I tried not to lose sight of that. And from the very moment I knew what it meant to draw near to the throne of grace. And so I spent every waking moment not trying to lose that. 
And so like Paul says, not that I have already attained it and yet having it. You know, this was continually going in my life. Right? Continually, I've been saying for the past 25 years to put yourself to death, to empty yourself. And if you've heard this, you will have been continually doing it. And those who did not hear, did not know. They, they would think that is so abstract. It's, it's mysticism. And so if you are not living in the spirit, of course it looks mystical to you. Of course it looks abstract to you. But if you are living in the spirit, this is your reality. And you somatico it, it becomes embodied. And it's not too late, my brothers. In this new season, let us yearn for this. And so when I say do not be lazy in putting yourself to death, let that become part of your character. And so the train of his robe filled the temple. He was high and lifted up. And so the train of his robe was filling the temple symbolizes his reign that reigns over all the universe. And so God reigns over all the universe. And in that reign, how can we reign with him is when we are under him. As it says in Colossians 2.15, that he upholds, he supports all creation. So when I am in him, then I come to know his reign. How obvious is that? Just looking at what it means to be the church, the church is under, it knows everything because what? Because it's under him who fills everything. And so we need to be able to see how this world revolves and know it is the essence of the church to know his reign. What's the secret is because I am in him and he is in me. When I'm in him and in him is what is the entire universe, I come to know his reign. Look at Daniel, even in the Old Testament era. He knows his thoughts before the Holy Spirit. And, and yet we who have the Holy Spirit and have the right to draw near to the throne of grace into the Holy of Holies, how much more would we know? As it says in Amos 3.7, that God does not move without first revealing his secrets to his servants, the prophets. And so the train of his robe filling the temple is showing that God reigns over all universe. And so he knows when a single hair falls from your head. That the the fingers of his reign feels all, knows all, and fills all. And so when we are with him, we understand that God knows all. But those who do not acknowledge this, they think that God doesn't know. That God doesn't know the pain that I feel, that God doesn't know how all the struggles that I'm going through. But no, God knows all. Yes, He knows perfectly. And this is what we call presence. That God, that I acknowledge God knows all. That I align my thoughts to God. That is presence. It's not just simply an emotion of feeling warmth. No. What is presence? Presence is acknowledging God. Acknowledging God and that He knows all. So let's acknowledge it even now. Amen? Does God know or not? He knows, yes? And so He is seated on the throne. But just as the train of His robe fills all... 
the feelings, the, the fingers of his reign is covering over everything. He is the creator God. And so what we see in chapter 5 is that he reigns over all. And so he is Lord Almighty. All right, he reigns over all the universe. He reigns over the entire universe. And as I said, the scale of the church is at the scale of the universe. And I'm not speaking from a perspective of mysticism of just saying, oh, I can feel the universe moving. No, all of creation is in the flow, a current of God's life force. And so let's say that your liver is broken. The problem is not just your liver. Your body is one life. And so that means that there are many things in your body that has not working right properly that causes this liver to fail. And so the failure of the liver is just the source, it, 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 or not the source, the result of the problem with your entire body, not just the liver itself is the problem. And so let's say your stomach is not as as unhealthy. The stomach is alone is not your is not the problem. Every element, every function of the body moves together, and so because there is something wrong in that entire system. It results in one thing being wrong. For example, let's say that your your liver is diseased. Then, then all you have to do is heal the liver. But many times that's not the case. You have to first heal what God shows is the source. For example, sometimes in ministry, their liver is in pain, and yet God, the Holy Spirit, leads me to pray for their heart. Because most of the time, it's circulation. Circulation, there's a problem in circulation. Uh, so God will purify the blood, and through purifying the blood, it heals the body. Same thing with the universe. Just as our body is one system, the creation of the universe all moves in the same way. And so this... this planet going through hardship of climate change it's not going to be fixed through our efforts because it's not an issue of just this planet alone it's not just an issue of the greed of man no it's an issue of at of universal scale and so just because the planets on this earth uh, the people on this earth do something well is going to rectify the problem of climate change it's not first we need to stop and acknowledge God just because we don't use oil does that mean that this earth will no longer be cursed no God is changing there is a transformation in the entire universe that's why there is this climate change and so it doesn't matter about the carbon levels that are being used because look what is the atmosphere 
det er en sfære, der allerede er kind of like a filter to remove all these harmful uh, greenhouse gases, right? But it's not functioning right, and because it's not functioning right, that's why these greenhouse gases are warming up the planet. But, and water level rising, it's not just simply because ice caps are melting, because the ice caps itself is not going to be able to cause enough water to, to, to flood the earth. It's all movement of the universe, right? Think about water levels. It's affected by the gravity of the moon. It's affected by the circulation of the planets. And so because this gravitational field is changing, that's causing the levels of the water to change, not just ice caps melting. Look at how condensation and preci uh, uh, precipitation works in this planet. As much as water gets absorbed into the atmospheres, as much water comes down. And so, where's Deacon Saul? She is a climatologist. Am, am I saying truth? Am I speaking truth? Is it truth or not? Do you not know? Why do you not speak? Okay, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. It may it can be the case. But this is what God revealed to me. When I read Psalms 125, it says it talks about the waters of the earth. And when I look at God's creation, I see that 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 ultimately that God created this perfection and so climate change's solution cannot be made just by this planet itself and everything that happens in this earth I do not acknowledge the the, the science because their data is incorrect it might be correct in the short term but they are not looking at the big picture God clearly says that the earth was created before the universe and so the basis of their data is all incorrect and so how can they come to a correct conclusion and so I, I, I don't know maybe I'm ignorant but, but that's my faith and so anyways God is reigning over creation the train of his robe filled the temple. And he's reigning over the universe according to his creation. As he said, let there be light. There was light. And so it's upheld by the word of his mouth. So when I'm in this relationship with God, he lets me proclaim this and brings this inside of me. Amen. And so the life comes from the word. Verse 2. Above him stood the seraphim, and the seraphim, right? The seraphim. This word seraph comes uh, is is means the burning one, and so the burning one. It means that they are burning red with fire, like it says in Daniel seven. From the throne of God flows rivers of fire, and because of holiness, this fire refines and cleans away everything that is filthy. 
And because this light of that throne is, is shining, it reflects off the angels, and so that's why they look red. Like Isaiah 4, right? This, we rise up in flame. And this flame is inside of you. Amen? This amazing fire of God dwells within you. And because of this fire, because of this holiness, we can see His face. And so I continue to speak of your dignity. All the dignity and this amazing holiness that he poured out, he shares with us. And as the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, his holy presence, that is God itself. And so every fire that burns inside of him is within us. And so let us avail it. And so these seraphim, they are angels that serve God and they are outside in the courts and they are different from other angels in that they have six pairs of six wings and so these angels are more holier than all the other angels the angels who watch over us and who are uh, responsible for all the things that happen in the physical world these angels see filthy things all the time and so they're polluted but the seraphim because they are always standing before God in his throne of grace they do not see polluted things they do not see corrupted things all they see is the holy presence of God and as they stand at the pinnacle of holiness these angels do not see anything polluted and yet with these six wings what do they do? two cover his face two their feet and with two they flew and so why do they cover their face? because they are unab unab unable to see his face they have to cover their corruption they are not corrupted, and yet because of the purity of God, they are corrupted, and so they cover their face. And they, that's how holy God is. This is something that, imagine my brothers, what, what, what is this holiness that they cover themselves? But who are you, my brothers? You can see his face. That from the face of Jesus Christ shines the light of the knowledge of God. So just recognizing this word properly, you would see your glory. The glory that sees the glory that angels cannot see. His spirit dwells inside of you. How amazing. What's going on? If you ignore this, you cannot say you believe in God. As a child of God, look at what has happened. The face that angels cannot gaze upon. You aren't ordered to gaze upon it. Even though angels who, who live with God cover their faces and their feet, and yet you can draw near to that throne. Righteousness, the state that you have no sin. What, what has happened? What's going on? This great dignity, let us meditate upon it day and night. Is this a fairy tale? Is this Bible a, a manual of mysticism? No, it's reality. If you do not acknowledge it as reality, then you cannot call yourself a Christian. If this body is not reality, if this Bible is not reality, then why believe? If you do not believe this Bible is reality, then might as well just go to a Buddhist temple. It is reality.
It is reality, amen? So we see with our spirit. This amazing dignity is upon you. The seraphim did not look. And And yet we must see that glory in order to survive, amen? We must see. And if you look at faith, if you look in faith, you will understand what I'm talking about. So let us look in faith. Amen. And so in verse 3. So as you live with God, God is giving you His essence, the Holy Spirit as it dwells inside of you, from glory to glory, that glory is growing and growing, that the glory of the gospel is continually growing and radiating out from within you. And so the essence of Jesus Christ is dwelling inside of you, and it will be with you forever. And so it's clear that I am not called to the church to be a perfect human. That is not why God poured out His Spirit upon you. No, rather He's poured it upon you so that you could be divine. He is not trying to make a good man out of you. It's not a. It's not for a good man that He pours out all of His glory, all of His holiness to you. God's purpose is for you to be holy. Not a good man. If it was to be a good man, he would send you lots of philosophers, lots of ethical teachers. No, he wants to make you into what you were originally meant to be, which is in the image of God. And so this clearly defines where our goal is then. And so this is where many of our deception stems, is that we're unable to believe this. We keep ignoring it. And so even though we attend church, we think that the purpose of the church is so that we can be a good man and be blessed. But everything that the Bible has said that God has done, none of it can be done through your efforts. None of it can be done made by your hands. And for this reason, He opened the way. For this reason, He pours His essence into you. So do not ignore this. Walk with Him, and if you have walked with Him, then you would recognize that, ah, that my goal is to be like Him. And when this is clear, every moment by moment of your spirituality, you will be sure of what it is you need to do. His goal, his purpose, his motivation. That all of this is so that I would be like him, be divine like him. Then the standards of this world, the experiences of this world will not move me, will not be the driving force in my life. No matter how much money they offer me, it is nothing before God's glory. As I said yesterday in the conference, this is making God absolute in my life, that He is the absolute standard in my life. Because His plan is to make me like Him, divine like Him. And so how can you reject Him? 
no matter how the good the world may be, because he is absolute. If God doesn't like it, then there is no compromise. And so this must be transformed in us one by one. And so if God is absolute in your life, is there any reason for you to be conflicted with the world or not? Or not. There is no conflict, conflict. But if there are elements of conflict inside of you, then in certain aspects of your life, God is not absolute. And so in this season, it is now time to make God absolute in every aspect of our life. Without this conflict, Christianity would be so easy. It's difficult because He is not absolute, even in your relationship with people. If God is not absolute in your life, then because you have to maintain this relationship, you are so worried about what they think about you. Money, same thing. No matter what reason it may be, if God is absolute in your life, then the demands of this world, the demands of Babylon will not be a source of conflict. It becomes so easy to throw it away, to cast it aside. And so don't think that, wow, how amazing is our pastor. No, I'm not special. If you have met with God and God is reigning over you, then this will automatically happen. Look at the heroes of the faith. They've all lived in this way. And so this is not a special calling. When you meet with God and you live with God and He reigns over you, you will live this way. So I'm speaking of what's normal in Christianity. I'm not speaking of what's special. And so your strength, your 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 strength is trying to make this to be something special. How easy is this? Amen. It's all of a sudden so easy, right? Ah, I did not make God absolute in my life. God says, do not hate your enemy. If God is absolute in your life, then you would not hate your enemy. And so whether it's spiritual or any aspect in your life, if God is absolute, this will be clear. Right, God has forgive you who is, who, who, uh, God forgave you when you were his enemy. And yet, and so who can, so what right do you have to hate anyone? And so I do not fight with my wife. Of course, many times I've scolded her, but I don't fight with her because because we are our character is different. I'm quick, she's slow. I like meat, she likes vegetables. So there's no reason to fight. None of us are going to argue over who gets the last piece of meat. We are perfectly different. So there's no reason to fight. The reason why you fight is because you are the same. For example, it's like this. If, if I squeeze the toothpaste from the front, she squeezes from the back. And, but you fight because you want to squeeze in the same way. 
And so even these seraphim cover their face, cover their feet because of their because of their corruption. And so if you believe, think about this. Imagine the great dignity that is in you, the great glory that is in you. And so bless the person next to you. You are amazing. You are an amazing being. Verse 3. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so the radiation of holiness is, is glory. And glory is the name of the Lord. And that or the holy is the name of the Lord. And that holiness radiates glory. So God not only gave you holiness, but he gave you glory. They cannot be separated. And so these seraphim, they're constantly saying to one another, praising God. They are not praising for praise's sake. But because they have been given this privilege to stand before God, they are filled with song. It's the same thing with us because we receive his holiness. We praise him for his glory, for his holiness. It's not, oh, I want to praise him, but no, but because his holiness radiates to me, you are filled with this song that holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And so in that presence, you cannot help but praise him. And yet, man alone, what sets them apart is that because he poured out his holiness upon us, he calls us the praise of his glory. And so, fundamentally speaking, when the creation sees you, they should say, holy, holy, holy. Now, of course, you are not independently holy, but it is still the same holiness emanating from you. Right? You've seen it in my life. I've, I've given you the testimony where, where, where there was a big, vicious dog, and I look at him, and he is under control. Because, because creation sees the holiness inside of him. Now, I've never met a tiger, but, but if I see a tiger, I would be confident. Because when I see that tiger, I would say to him, I am not as, I am not as delicious as you may think I look. <laughs> But this dignity that God has given us through His holiness, let us receive it in today's worship. That the Creator God has given me holiness? Wow. So when you believe, then you will not easily compromise with the world. You will not easily enjoy the world. You will not easily hold hands with the world when you believe in this dignity. And he has made you his temple. And so everything ultimately means what? That God has given you his holiness. And this world is corrupted, is polluted. And so why pollute yourself? So when I was in the Methodist church, I'm sorry to say this, but but, but I, didn't, I didn't shake hands with many of them. Now at that time it was because of my arrogance. 
I didn't even stretch out my hand uh, because they were polluted. Because, oh, I don't want to mix my holiness with their pollution. And so when, when the elders of the Methodist church laid their hands upon me, I, I was filled with so much arrogance that I would pray, Lord, don't let their corruption pollute me. <laughs> but, 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 but though, though it was my arrogance, but, and yet there is a little bit of truth behind that because there was this holiness rising up inside of me. You know, you don't want to mix with corruption. Now, at that time, I didn't have the meekness of God to be able to to meet with that in humility. Now I do have that, right? Amen. Hallelujah. But but at that time, uh, I knew the truth and manifested in a bad way. But but ultimately, you know. You know that uh, it is right that that there is, that 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 you do not want to mix holiness with filth. And so, anyways, the whole earth is full of His glory, and even now the earth is filled with His glory. It fills creation. And so, in the presence of holiness, as that glory is radiating, as the power of holiness is radiating, of course you would see this automatically. Amen. Amen. And so, because he is holy, when you have fellowship with him, everything is made holy. And I don't need to go deeper into holiness, right? Because I've already sp spoke of holiness at length. But in other words, to simply speak, holiness means separation, means sanctification. That there is nothing in this world that can be similar to that holiness. Even love. It is love that God alone can give. And so if you say that it's like the love of my wife, no, it's different. It is sanctified. It is unique. It is set apart. That's why God is echad. He is one. He is set apart. So everything that God can give is unique. There's no comparison. Nothing comes close. And when you recognize this in your life, you can see that God's reign is over your life. It's power that the world cannot give. Authority, um, uh, wisdom, knowledge that the world cannot give. So when we are under his reign and you are meeting with him in this reign, nothing else can take control. Nothing else will satisfy you. You live because you live but nothing in this world will satisfy you you will not say that because everything that he gives is unique it is the best it is unique and so the holiness that God pours out you need to receive it and experience this uniqueness when you receive it this will happen in your life so remember when I first started ministry many people would come with all this money saying that if you do this that I, I will give you this money this land or, and yet all none of this I was able to ignore it because of what? because when I receive holiness none of these things appeal to me that those things were not my concern if it was dirty I would kick it away if God did not want it I would I would kick it away 
I remember this one ruler came to me and saying that I have this land and I, I will give to you, but I was able to keep them away because. I, I said to her at that time, if you really want to offer this to God, then take away your name, take away all record, and then give it to me. But And she ran away. And there was this man who got cancer. He was really rich. And he came to me and prayed to me, uh, said to me, that if you can, if your prayer can heal me, I will give you $10 million. And I said to him, I don't want $10 million. If you want me to pray for you, bring your entire wealth. Do you think he came? He didn't come. In other words, I was telling him to go away because... But, but when you are filled with that holiness, this is what will happen in your attitude. But because you compromise, you are not seeing the glory of holiness. When I was ministering, many people would get in line to, 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 to get ministry from me. And this president of a seminary came and he said, can I get, can I get ministry quickly? And I told him to wait. I told him to wait and in light because in holiness, none of these things affects me like Elijah. Right, uh, Elisha, when, when uh, Haman, or not Haman, uh, what's the name of the general uh, from Damascus? I don't remember the name, but anyways, came, you know, he expected to be treated like a king, but instead, what was he, he what did he say to him? Go wash yourself in the Jordan seven times. And so, you know, people who cannot who get nervous around people of power, who get nervous around famous people, or who get nervous around people with money. No, we need to have confidence in that holiness, confidence in what God has given us. Of course, don't be arrogant the way I was in the past, but, but be humble and be humble and lift yourself up to God. But, but having that confidence of knowing what fills you. And so anyways, verse 4. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So this is the Holy of Holies. He's showing what the high priest sees when he enters into the Holy of Holies. As the angels sing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts, the foundation of the thresholds shake. That the praise itself is shaking the foundations. When I was at the big church back in the past, as 20,000 people shouted, the, the roof would shake. But that's not what's being talked about right here. Rather, the power of that glory itself is shaking the foundations. Right? As it says in the early church acts, it would say that wherever they gathered, the land would shake. So every time we gather, that the earth would shake. That when the glory of His Holiness manifests, there is the shaking of the foundations. And so there's some in our church who shake and some who don't. And the reason why you don't shake 
is because the strength of your flesh is stronger than the spirit inside of you. And so the binding of the of the if the binding in the body is weak, then the spirit will shake. And so shaking of the foundation is so normal, it's so natural. And so like Kang Senga who who shakes the entire universe, right? People sensitive like that, you know, shaking her leg. And so even though this shaking is coming, you are more sensitive to the flesh. And so shaking is important. Even if you don't shake, you need to feel that shaking. If the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, you would feel that because when holiness comes, everyone will shake. Now, depending on your sensitivity, maybe that shaking will manifest stronger. But at the very least, you need to know that you are being shaken. You need to feel that shaking of the Holy Spirit. If there is no, if you don't feel it, you don't sense it, then something's wrong. That means you are not a wave offering to God. You must be a wave offering to God. Where whoever it is, if the Holy Spirit comes, they will be shaken. Because we have the sarks. In that sarks, when holiness enters, it will be shaken. The foundations of that sarks will be shaken. So if you are not shaken, then you are living in a resurrection body already. But I think even the resurrection body would be shaken. Meaning that you must shake, right? You will shake. The foundations will be shake. It's not a question of are you sensitive or not. It's a question of do you believe in his holy presence or not. And so maybe it doesn't manifest physically, but inside there must be the shaking of the foundations. Amen. And then what is smoke? Smoke symbolizes the fullness of him. Right. Uh, the Holy of Holies was filled with the smoke of the incense, which represented God's presence, the fullness of God's presence. And so look. In this event, he's not just simply saying the house is filled with smoke. Remember, uh, at this time, Jews would uh, offer, offer sacrifices twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening, and in the middle, uh, okay, three times a day, because one more time in the afternoon. So there would be three worships. And so Isaiah probably saw this during the time of this prayer, one of those three times. And as he was lighting the incense, in that incense, he sees the, the, the glory of God seated on his throne. And in this temple, as we saw in Isaiah 4, this smoke rises up. And, and this must be similar to you in the spiritual state because you are a temple. As I said, the prophecy of Isaiah 4 is not just the prophecy of the temple, but the temple, but the prophecy of you, your soul. The inside of you, this presence, the smoke fills up. But anyways, I said the same thing in Uganda. In the worship, there was smoke smoke just filling up that area and I thought I was the only one who was able to see it but several people was able to see it in, in, in South Africa 
also in Uganda. And so sometimes at our church as well, I see the smoke. And what is clear that symbolizes is the presence of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so there have been a couple times where I experienced this in conferences. I think one time, long time ago in Paraguay as well, I experienced it. That conference where I drove the stake into the mountain. Asuncion. Oh, no, no. Not Asuncion. No. But, anyways, during that conference, uh, there, there, there was just crazy presence of God. Throughout that conference, it was it was hazy of this smoke constantly. But anyways, there is the strong presence of God. And so it's clear that you are the Holy of Holies, as it says in Isaiah chapter 4. And as that presence covers, that smoke covers over you, amen? And this fire rises up, this flame rises up. So really, God has made you into such an amazing being, amen? This is all Isaiah's prophecy. And then now let's look at the next section, verses 5 to 7, and see the sanctification of Israel. And so this chapter is not Isaiah's calling, but Isaiah's sanctification. Verse 5. I feel like I've skipped something. Anyways, verse 5. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. And as I said earlier, Isaiah has already been ministering at, for at least 10 years. And yet, what does he say here? In this midst of this glory, as he sees this glorious presence, what does, what's the first thing that he says is, woe is me. This is written in the perfect tense, meaning that it's already happened. That, that already, he knows that he cannot solve this curse, that woe is me. Woe is me, for I am lost. And because he's in the presence of God's glory, he sees his filth. Even though he's been ministering for 10 years already, and he's been meeting with the king, he's the king's scribe, right? And so imagine the, the, the honor and dignity that he's been filled with. And yet as he sees God's glory, he says, woe is me. As he comes across God's glorious presence, he sees the corruption in him. And as I always say, pastors, when will you confirm your calling? It's not when your ministry is successful and you find lots of power, but rather when you lay down all the ephod of your office and all you have is the white linen underneath and you enter into the Holy of Holies and see that you do not die, that's when you can truly confirm your calling. And, and this doesn't just apply to pastors, but as the a remnant, putting on the white linen and entering into the Holy of Holies. And so like Isaiah, he sees his corruption. He sees how he is polluted. Many times we are unable to see that with that word. No, we are unable to see that when we are not in the presence of that glory. But when you enter into that presence of that glory, you're able to see it. And so in this one moment, Isaiah is sanctified. And so as I always say, spiritual matters is not a matter of time. 
Now, I'm not saying that you can will yourself to enter into this presence, but we need to yearn for it. We need to yearn to be in that state where we're continually under the light of God's glory. Not just living however you want and all of a sudden coming before His glory. No. Now, that may be possible, but the possibility of that is very low. Just living however you want in the world and then just being transformed all of a sudden? No, that is rare. You know, you cannot change from being dog meat to, to pristine beef overnight. Either... God kills you or you are revolutionized. <sighs> and so like someone like me, 29 years living in as a sin and then all of a sudden uh, being transformed by God, that's not often. It's not common. So don't think that you're going to transform all of a sudden. The best thing is to continually fix yourself towards light. Continually yearning for the glory of God. Like Isaiah. I mean, yes, he's he, yes, he finds himself corrupted. But yet he's, for 10 years, he's been living in that holiness, right? But, but and he comes here and he says, woe is me. Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And so instead of speaking of what sin he did, but rather he says that my uh, I have unclean lips. He is a prophet, meaning that he lives by his lips. Everything that he does, it's about his speaks. And yet he says, I am of unclean lips. What does that mean? That means he is speaking of his entire being. Because he's not speaking of the individual words that he said, but rather that as Jesus Christ, as our Lord Jesus Christ said, that it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, but what comes out of the man. And so as Isaiah has been living as a prophet, all of his prophecies, it's not from holiness, he sees how much unbelief he had and how much uh, filthiness he had, how much arrogance, how much religion he had. And so he's able to see his entire being. And so that's why he says, woe is me. And so if you do not meet with God in this way, you cannot realize this. This is not something that a person can come con conclude on his own. There is no way to deal with this. And so 35 years ago when I met with God, truly this is what happened. I saw all my sins pass before me like a movie. And so all I could do is acknowledge, acknowledge, amen, amen, woe is me, for I am lost. There was no space for me to say, to try to even defend myself. You just acknowledge. This is what happens when you see God's glory. And so there is no wherewithal to try to defend yourself. So when you enter deeply into God's presence, 
There is no, there is no room. There is no room to wiggle. There is no room to say that oh, I'll, I'll try to defend yourself, to try to complain. There is no room for that. You're just completely lost. I am lost. Because, and this is only possible when you come face to face with your wickedness. And going beyond that, what does it mean of unclean lips? It's not the result of his actions, but rather he sees that in his being, he is filled with this uncleanliness. Right, the fundamental wickedness that is inside of us, right, that we talked about in Habakkuk. Right, that's why in Paul, as we say, what did Paul say at the height of his spirituality? That of sinners, he is the worst. It's not because of what he's done, but rather when he stands before the glory of God, there is no room to, to compromise. There's no room to say, to try to defend yourself. All you can do is acknowledge that this is who I am. I am lost. Woe is me. And when you have this experience, it becomes easy to maintain holiness. That doesn't mean that you will never sin again, but, but you will be able to truly repent immediately. This, you will understand this state that there is no wiggle room. This cannot happen without meeting God. And so it's not about you cannot solve it through your actions, through your 40-day fasting. No, it cannot. You only have two days left? Ask the person next to you how many days he has. Three days? Two, oh, two days and five days? Tezong, <laughs> how about you? Are you also two days? Oh, wow, these last two days are, are, are like the death. And so what, through 40-day fast, can you solve this? No, you can't. But through fasting, you can come to realize what binding you have. That's why the recovery phase after the fast is really important. But remember that ultimately it's not through our efforts, but through uh, the grace of God. And so we yearn for this, yes? Are you not, do you not thirst for this? Amen? Let us yearn for this. And I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so he was someone who has been going back and forth between the Holy of Holies, and, and, and there was no issue. But yet, as he comes into his glory, he sees that he is without hope, that he is lost, that he is of unclean lips, he dwells among unclean men. And so we cannot enter into this glory every day, but in faith, we must cry out to him in the Holy of Holies and to be able to see our wickedness. And so, your hardness closing off completely, this doesn't happen overnight. This thing cannot solve, be solved through just random grace. Oh, wait, sorry, one moment. Um, Why? 
And so the day we were saved, maybe this glory will happen once, right? But you don't need to go every day. Why? Because once you enter into this glory and see it, every day you know how to maintain that holiness. You just repent every day and you remain in the glory of Him. But you do not need to see this kind of, you do not have to have this kind of event every day. Because in other words, if God did not take this um, measure in chapter 6, Isaiah would have been lost in the spirit of religion. And so do not be, what I'm trying to say is do not be mistaken into thinking that something like this needs to happen every day. This event, but at the very least once in our life, right? Once in our life. This may be your event on the way to Damascus. But, and so in life, we need it once. So 35 years ago when I met with God, this is what happened. And so my entire being was revolutionized. And so the moment I stepped down from that mountain, immediately I quit alcohol, I quit smoking. Right, I never relapsed once. Anyway, so moving on. Verse 6, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. So he had no hope. And, and the only hope is God. That is what's being clear here. So he brought a burning coal. This is important. He, having in his hand a burning coal. What is this coal? What does this coal? Where, where is this coal? Is it, is it charcoal? Is it hickory smoke coal? Right? If you if you smoke something in hickory smoke, it tastes good. What is this coal? It is coal. That receives the blood and fat of the of the sacrifice, and so that coal is taken from the altar and brought into the holy of holies. Right? If you bring the wrong fire, like Phineas and Abihu, you will die. But when you, so what fire did they bring? They probably brought sacrifice that was corrupted or coal that was not from that altar. This is really important, spiritually speaking. So today, right, he's in the midst of prayer. Isaiah is in prayer. And so the offering that he made, he sees that it's unclean. Why? Because he was unable to give true offering to God. And so a couple days ago, I said in worship as well, why is worship so important? Because in worship, this true atoning sacrifice, when it's lifted up to God, it's mixed with the blood and the fat of the offering. And so, blood, fullness of the Holy Spirit, 
fullness of blood, fullness of anointing. And so it's when you are filled with that fullness and it mixes into that offering that it brings this aroma that is pleasing to God, that is not interrupted even by the wind. So what is our atoning sacrifice? It is through the blood of Jesus Christ and in that blood as we cry out to God with a contrite heart that it's not my efforts that, I, that, that you can deal with your, your curse. And so it's when that coal is lifted up and only through worship that goes through that offering through that atonement sacrifice is the true worship and so think about all your prayers how many of those prayers were a holy aroma to God and so every moment when I pray I always lift up this offering I always begin by saying our father who art in heaven and immediately I see all my sins and lift up that atoning sacrifice and in that atoning sacrifice I pour out all the things that bring a good aroma to God and let's say that it is filled with that aroma and it doesn't go up then I see that oh I need spiritual warfare and I engage in spiritual warfare and it goes up and so when Isaiah says that I'm unclean we need to see what exactly is unclean and so all of his offering all of his sacrifice was unclean and so which means his prayer was unclean so do not treat this atoning sacrifice lightly all of the five sacrifices in worship must apply in our worship and when that blood and fat of that sacrifice mixes into that coal it's with that coal that brings true aroma that pleases God and so with that coal is taken with tongs and in verse 7 and he touched my lips and said behold this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for and as this proper coal touches their lips his guilt is taken away and so, and so all that corruption that pollutedness has been taken away your guilt is taken away and so what is guilt guilt is when you live for yourself the guilty live for themselves and so all of this has been taken away that I tried to serve God how I thought was right what I thought was right what I thought was worship but this has been taken away and your sin atoned for and so all of his religion all of his pride all of his haughtiness and so if you leave yourself alone sin cannot help but interlope but all of this was taken away through this off, through this worship through this act of true worship and so this call must touch your being and in that moment all that corruption is taken away it's not about your efforts it's not about what you do my brothers it's not about something that you can do you have no hope but when he comes that holiness that fire comes and burns everything away and so moving on. Mm. 
And so this sin has been atoned. And he's entering into glory. Amen? And now verse 8 to 13. Let's see the calling of a prophet and the the word of judgment and restoration. Verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Uh, then I uh, so uh, the second half keep on hearing but do not understand keep on seeing but do not perceive go and say to this people and so 10 years ago he was already received the calling to be a prophet oh sorry yeah he went to verse 9 instead of doing verse 8 and I heard the voice of the Lord saying whom shall I send and who will go for us then I said here I am send me so remember 10 years ago he received this calling but that calling it's not directly from God now I'm sure he was inspired but it wasn't the right calling just yet the right calling the accurate calling comes when you will stop before his glory your life stops before glory now, this is especially for pastors. This is probably different for, for businessmen, but for, for pastors, pastors, you must stand before that glory. You need to get to that state where you can't live as you were. Right? And so when I stood before God's glory, my life stopped. My life stopped. And for two, three years, I thought, I I prayed to God about where I to go. But because I could not go move on my own. So pastors, it's really important. And so it's not like this. Like, oh, because my father was a pastor ever since I was born, all I know is pastor. No, that's not what it's about. Even if your father was a pastor, you need to have this calling of first. And so he stopped, stopped in that glory and he receives the calling, right? Who will, shall I send and who will go for us? So whom I, shall I send? This is God, the Father, and who will go for us? This is the triune God. And so the purpose is established by God and the method is established in the Trinity. Right? So whom shall I send and who will go for us? And so in life, there must be this halting. There must be this stopping. And in that stopping, in that halt, we receive the calling of life. And so all must meet with the Lord on the way to Damascus. Our lives must be reset before his calling. So am I truly going the right way? Right? If you are, then continue. If not, then change. And so for a time at our church, most people would quit their jobs. Right? They be, how long were you unemployed? Four years? How long were you without work? Right? They, were, they stopped doing nothing. And right at the moment where he was running out of all money, that's when God called him to be a businessman. And so there must be this halting, this halting and resetting of life before the glory of God. We must all stop before the glory of God. Amen. And so he sends him. And so whatever the method may be, 
if it's your calling or whatever it may be, when there's glory in your life, your life will stop, right? You will stop. You're not just going to continue on the way. That's not normal. There is this, at least this one-time halting of your life. To know, are you going the way that God has set before you, right? Amen? And so God stopped Isaiah and called Isaiah. And this path that he's sending him on, it's not for he's not set up for success and so Paul or God's calling to Isaiah is not necessarily for his own individual personal success and so same thing businessman God's calling for you is not your success is not guaranteed is not dependent upon how much money you make no it's standing before God in glory it's the glory of his holiness that's what's important and so this calling may not be he's not set up for success and let's see what the content is Verse 9. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. And so he's receiving a very frustrating calling, right? And so to someone who receives God's calling, their calling is not about whether they are successful in that or not. And so no matter what God gives, it, it doesn't matter. Because their calling is not about success. And so no matter how much Isaiah speaks, no one's going to hear. No matter how much God or Isaiah teaches, they will not understand. And this, is, this would be so frustrating, right? And yet it's possible because he stands before the glory of God. So when I first established this church, God gave me this promise saying that I will establish a glorious church. And yet, in this process, I doubted many times because, look, I don't see that glorious church all the time. Now there are you guys are listening to my words, but at that time, when they listened to my sermon, they would run away. They would flee. If 10 people were to walk through those doors, 9 people would leave. And so I, of course, I would doubt. Am I, am I able to bring this glorious church? And yet, I had this faith in my calling, and so I pressed on. And honestly, no one acknowledged me at that time. Everyone would call me a heretic. And yet, why was I able to go down that path? Because I know that it's not about success, but it's about God's holiness. It's about God's glory. And so I press on. Same thing applies now. And so God's calling is not about whether you are successful or not. That, oh, lots of people are going to gather. Now, this may not apply to businessmen because God called businessmen to earn money. So, of course, you're going to earn money. But, but I mean, ultimately, you understand what I'm saying when I talk about success, right? Because it says, they will hear but not understand. They will see but not perceive. 
And he used the same thing when he ta- when Jesus Christ gave the parable of of the of the sower. Right as Isaiah said, that you will hear but not understand, you will see but not perceive. What is the reason for this? Why does Isaiah have to preach words that no one will hear or no one will see? Verse 10 Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes. And so who is making this people dull? It's God. But what did I say? Right, like as God in Exodus, right, uh, that he will harden Pharaoh's heart. Then then is that Pharaoh's fault? It's not Pharaoh's fault, right? Because God made him. And yet, that's not what's going on. It's not that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but because Pharaoh continually chose sin, He's at a state where he cannot repent. Same thing's going on here. The heart of this people dull. Because their heart is focused on the world. Because they are filled with the spirit of religion. They are filled with greed. They are filled with worldliness. No matter how, because think about up until now, Isaiah has been continually preaching repentance. But now they have a heart that's so hard that they cannot hear. And so currently we are preaching the true system and many people who hear do hear. But ultimately, what is our ministry? Is to proclaim the judgment to the world. That even though we speak, they will not hear. And that's why we need to make books with the with the truth team. Not because not because people will hear, but to proclaim God's judgment. Of course, it's important for people to be saved. But at the same time, we are establishing the standard of God's judgment. Amen. That's what's going on here. As Isaiah is proclaiming the truth to Israel, he is proclaiming it for judgment. They cannot hear. They cannot hear because their heart is not towards, set towards God. So, and their ears heavy. Why are their ears heavy? Because they've been so deceived by the world. The sound of the world and the noise of the devil drowns out the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because they're constantly listening to the world, their ears are heavy and blind their eyes. They should have continued to see the glory of God, but because they keep seeing the standards of the world, seeing the glories, the the false glories of riches and fame, they cannot hear, they cannot see, they cannot, they cannot receive. And so they are filled with God's judgment. Lest, Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And so the truth, and so what is this proclaiming judgment on? It's proclaiming on judgment on people who do not have to preach the truth and yet speak of God. You know, like charismatic movements, right? They do healing without preaching the word. Right, you follow the trends, you follow these ministries that have that have thousands of people following, and yet look at them, look at all of them, they're all falling, they all fall because of immorality, they all fall because of various sins. 
For example, what was the church that did secret service in Chicago? I said at that moment that there will be corruption in that church and that corruption is there. How can, non, how can they have worship with non-believers? It, rather, rather than doing that kind of service, go evangelize, right? Evangelism is okay, but worship with non-believers? That doesn't work. That became the source of their corruption of the church. And so, because you are just appealing to emotions, it's not transformation. And that's what God is saying, is judging here. There must be truth, right? And so why did he do this? For judgment. But also, in these circumstances, he's giving them again a chance to repent. That's what Isaiah is seeing here. And so Israel cannot repent. They are so hardened. They cannot realize. They cannot understand. And yet at the same time, in this state, God sends Isaiah. Why? Because if one, even if one were to turn, it's worth it. And so this shows God's judgment and his love. And Jesus Christ brings the solution to it all, right? And, but in this conflict, God sends Isaiah. And then, then, even if though they cannot repent, he continually pours out repentance, calls them to repentance. And so he loves without resting. If it was me, I would have given up a long time ago, but God never gives up. We're almost finished. Verse 11. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. So through this complete judgment, when they are completely without hope, they will repent. And so Isaiah experiences the judgment of Assyria and of Babylon seeing that God will bring everything to waste verse 12 and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land verse 13 and though a tenth remain in it it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak and so in Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 3 verse 8 what do we see? How many people are left in Isaiah in the last days is only a third. How terrifying, right? That two-thirds of Israel are destroyed and only a third left. How about in Revelations? From how many people will die from Megiddo until Jerusalem? There will be rivers of blood. And I think uh, the Messianic Jews do not talk about this. Uh, the Jews do not talk about this. But they do need to talk about this. Think about it. Look at how many homosexuals are, are in Jerusalem. How celebrated it is in Israel. This is a problem. They need to speak of holiness. And so when you see this, of course Israel is going to go through judgment. 
two-thirds of Israel will be killed, will be destroyed. This great judgment is coming. And yet God will leave him for him a remnant. In verse 13, seeing the restoration, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. And so this holy seed, meaning that Israel will once again grow, right? That through uh, that God will leave a remnant of Orthodox Jews, He will leave a remnant of Messianic Jews, and of course a remnant of the Gentiles. Amen. So look. It's glory that we have been called to be, be this stump, this holy seed. If we were not there, there would be no hope for this earth. And as it says in Micah 4, that you are the dew of the morning. You are the dew that brings the hope of the early and later latter rains. Amen? And because of this dew, there is hope on this earth. There is hope that this early and latter rains are there. And so take hope and take heart that God has called you, that you will experience this. Amen. And so let us pray. Oh, wow. The sermon ended early today. Okay, we don't want the f- to start off long, right? We want to start off on a good foot. And so let us cleanse ourselves with this coal. Lord, May our atoning offering come up to you every day properly that all the anointing that flows forth from the fat of the sacrifice and the anointing of that coal rise up to you. And Lord, may this holy offering rise up to you. And may we lift up holy prayers to you to empty ourselves every day and experience like Isaiah being brought prostrate before you and may all of our bindings and all of our hurts be completely healed and in this worship may this coal touch our lips taking away our guilt atoning us Lord And in 2024, when we pray, when we worship, may we offer this burnt offering to you and may this coal continually refine us every day. Lord, come today upon us. May this refining fire cleanse us from all our filth and so that we may enter into your glory. This is the season. Yes, Lord. In this season, truly, may Yorban Church be a community of love, be the kingdom of the Son of Love with purity and holiness touch us all refining fire coal may it come upon us through all the angels cleansing us of all our pollution all our immorality all our unbelief may it be completely burned away and may we draw near to your glory let us pray
Lord, we remove all the false, all the improper fires that we've lifted up. Forgive us. And Lord, now we want to give a fire that, 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 that is approved by God. And every day, help us to lift up proper, proper sacrifice to you. Every day, may this aroma rise up to you well and break through against the devil and that our prayer would be made powerful. Lord, upon all of our lips, purify them with your fire. Bless this community and in 2024, give us great victory that wherever we go, wherever we may be, may your gospel shine in faith, in authority, in prophecy, in powerful material authority. May it manifest in 2024 and manifest your holy authority. May the saints worship you in your presence. Oh Lord, we thank you. In this New Year's Thanksgiving, bless us and bless us and bless us more. We lift you up. We lift up the thanks for all the blessings of this next year. Pour out your power and authority. I lift up the offering to you. May it be pleasing to you. Lord, may we be souls that will not fall because of things. And rather, may we be beings who can continually give out things. So bless the businesses, bless the families, and bless our endeavors. Give us your prosperity. And now, by the grace of Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, and through the holy love of the Father, and the indwelling, comforting, fulfilling work of the uh, fulfilling work of the Holy Spirit, to the saints who are purified by this refining fire upon their families, upon their workplace, upon their businesses, upon this nation and this people, upon Zoe ministry, upon missionaries all over the world, and upon the church. May this blessing rest now and forevermore.